Let me guess, you signed up for every free lead magnet and binged on every marketing YouTube video and thought, what am I missing? Why isn't my business exploding like that? Well, I can tell you, you're not alone. Whether you're just getting started or have an established business, entrepreneurship can be really lonely, but it doesn't have to be. Overcoming your fear of launching or building your personal brand or figuring out how to scale, it shouldn't be holding you back. It should be empowering you. On this podcast, we're going to deep dive into the mechanics of what it takes to build your brand, make your mark, and stake your claim in the digital marketing space. I'll be chatting with people from all walks of life and stages in their careers. I will be getting inspiration from real experts who will share their actual strategies and techniques to grow loyal and raving followings and sell more stuff. This is entrepreneurship from people who are already there making it happen. My name is Jeff Mendelson. Join me and welcome to the One Big Tip Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. My name is Jeff Mendelson, and this is the One Big Tip Podcast. And today I am really pleased to have with me Benny Nachman. Benny is a serial entrepreneur and payments industry veteran. He is the founder and CEO of Jazby, a fintech startup revolutionizing how families share money. So he's going to talk to us all about that. Benny, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for coming, man. This is going to be really exciting. Tell me a little bit about uh, about Jazby. And, uh, you know, you were telling me a little bit in the pre-call how this is your third startup now, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, this isn't your first go around. You know, the fintech sector is absolutely exploding right now. And, uh, you know, you have a pretty compelling product, especially for someone like me who has teenagers at home, right? So this is really great. And I'm really anxious to hear about it. Sure. Thank you. So, Yes, Jazby is my third company. I've been doing fintech for a while. And uh, Jazby is, is a mobile payments app and card. And it connects. What we do today is that we connect kids and teens, parents and grandparents. So three generations. The idea is that the adults would give money to the kids in a digital, fast, secure but very mobile way. So the way that the, the way that the kids, you know, live their lives and the kids can do three things. And, and one full thing that is maybe more important than, than everything. So they can do savings. They can do good. We work with 25, I think, uh, and growing list of nationwide charities from American Cancer Society to Girls of Code to the Conservation Fund. So everybody can find his, his niche. And the third thing that they can spend. So we have our own uh, market in in app called the uh, Jazby Shop, and we also issue um, uh, a debit card issued by in cooperation with Mastercard that is accepted virtually everywhere. And maybe the more important thing above all is that by doing all of this, we also teach the kids and the family a little bit about financial literacy and how money works. So financial literacy is one of the biggest, I think, problems that we are facing today as a society. And it's a problem that nobody talks about. It's like the silent, you know, like they used to say about high blood pressure. It's like it's the, the silent killer. So it's exactly the same thing. We talk about a lot of problems that we have, but very rarely does somebody talk about the lack of financial literacy, the lack of financial literacy education. And we put so much effort and money and love and energy into raising kids and educating them and then sending them into the world. But most households in America don't talk about money and schools don't talk about money. And that's a huge problem. You know something? I noticed that growing up, right? Like, uh, you know, by the time I finished high school, you know, people were asking me, hello, what are you going to invest in? I'm like, the hell is that? Right. It's like I didn't even realize that that was actually a thing. Mm -hmm. And what's funny is that, you know, I watch my kids now and I'm trying to explain to them, like, uh, uh, let's take the example of WeWork. I'm a big WeWork fan. 
right? So I, Mm -hmm. um, when I travel and especially when I travel with my kids, they know that we're going to go to a WeWork in that city simply because I still have to work, but at least we're doing it from another latitude. So it's fun. And what happens is that, you know, we've been talking about how they, uh, you know, their spectacular flame out of how they, you know, wanted to do an IPO and then it just, you know, just evaporated and, and everything's right. And then comes the inevitable question. What's an IPO, right? What's a, you know, like, uh, uh, where can I invest? You know, my daughter asked me for an E-Trade account, you know, actually this year. And that was like, ah, you know, it was great because I'm like, okay, great. You know, now she's getting it. She's actually moving some of the money that she makes, you know, into that account. And, you know, it's just great. What have you found to be the biggest challenge to getting parents and kids to talk about financial literacy, especially, you know, like, especially like in this day and age where, you know, like we all have these basically supercomputers in our in the palm of our hands. Like we have never been so connected or the ability to, you know, to to transfer this kind of wealth, you know, wealth, you know, uh, transfer this kind of money back and forth. Uh, how did you tap into that? How did you identify that this was an urgent need? So it started with me personally, you know, again, my previous company is a company called Credoax is a, a global acquiring bank and credit card processor. We, we serve thousands of merchants in over 20 countries and uh, process billions of dollars. So what I've been doing for the last I don't know, 12, 13 years is basically running a small bank that was before JSP. In my household, we always talked about money and it, and, and my kids are still very young. So my, my young one is 10 and my older is 12. But since they were very young, we always talked about money. And then uh, when they were, when the older one was, I don't know, maybe first grade, they started asking me to uh, give them allowance. So it was my job. I agreed with my wife that uh, every Monday, every Sunday morning, I'll give them a few dollars. And, you know, I was traveling like crazy. So some of the time I wasn't home. The other time I forgot. And then even when I remembered, I never had the exact number of dollars because we were talking cash. So I don't know, when they were in kindergarten or something like that, I, I gave them $3. And I never had $3. Like, you know, I had 20. I didn't, or 10 or five. I never had three single ones twice because, you know, I need to give for each one of them. And I started noticing how awkward that is. And when they wanted to buy something, it was mostly a video game or some online thing. And then the cash didn't help them. So the whole thing was very not practical. It was clunky. Yeah, very clunky. And then after I, I left the day-to-day management of, uh, of Curdox, I took about a year off and did some consulting work. And I one of the, one of the works that I did was uh, with the local university. And I started paying more and more attention into how kids or not not kids anymore, young adults, get into university and how little they know about what's APR, what's compounded interest, how does that work? So the two kind of meshed in my head. And I said, you know, Jasby, so a way to give kids money, a way for them to use it, and on the way to also learn about financial literacy. And one of the things that I would tell you is that I think we don't start it early enough. So you're lucky, and you, it sounds like your your kids, uh, especially your daughter, are, are pretty special. But you can't wait for them to go to college to start talking about money. It's Again, even then, it's better. It's better than nothing. Yeah, that's too late. <laughs> Data shows, and, and it shows not only in the U.S., it shows across at least the Western Hemisphere, that if you save and if you invest, those are the two most important things for your success in life, especially savings. If you understand saving, if you understand what money is, if you understand what interest is, very, very, again, I don't need some academic lecture, some complicated formulas. Hey, man, if you get $10 and you save them in a while, you'll get another dollar. It's called interest and it works for you. But if you borrow money, then you need to pay an extra dollar and it works against you. That's good enough. And then start education, start the habit 
of, of, of um, saving, even a dollar a week. It doesn't matter. So saving is so important. And you can start talking about those things when the kids are six, seven, eight year olds don't need to, to wait. And, and it's better the earlier it is. You know, what's interesting, uh, the, uh, the other thought that came to mind, and this is probably something that, you know, we should, you know, announce, you know, much bigger is that banks don't like giving debit cards to kids, right? When I had to change banks uh, late last year, I, you know, think of like, okay, I identified this one bank. I go in there. Oh, by the way, I need two debit cards for my kids. Oh no, we don't do that. Right. Like, dude, wait, I don't call, uh, hold on. You know, I need to give them money. I'm not going to, I'm not going to care. Like, I don't carry around a lot of cash. Right. So I just want to transfer it over to them. Nope. And they couldn't help me. They didn't have a product for me. And what I think is interesting is that this, um, uh, you know, by figuring out this, uh, this undertap market, you really sort of figured out that, okay, you know, there really is something there. Right. And it really does, you know, good. Like it, uh, you know, there are so many additional ramifications that, you know, that happen. Right. Agreed. So, by the way, and I'm not, uh, you're based in Florida, right? So I'm not exactly, I'm not, uh, I, I can't give expert advice on, uh, on law in Florida, but I can tell you generally that it's very rare in U.S. banking laws, both federal and state, that there is anything that prohibits anybody from giving, or especially banks from giving debit cards or opening accounts to, uh, to kids or to minors. It doesn't exist. It's just they are afraid of it. It's not like it's not allowed or it's even difficult. It's not at all. It's just that they don't want to. And I agree with you completely. You know, teenagers especially, but, but kids, I would say we have users as young as first graders, second graders, six, seven years old, and then all the way until seniors in high school. And one of the things that you see again and again is that they are super underserved, super underbanked for no fault of their own other than the fact that they're young. And in the same time, an average teenager in the United States spends about $3,000 a year, his own money. And we give them tons of freedom from opening Facebook pages at age 13 to Instagram and upload photos and Twitter and everything. And they use all of this money and they have all of this freedom. But except when it comes to financial services, it comes except when it comes to financial education, which is probably two of the most important things that they can do and two of the most important things that you can do for them as a parent. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, just even talking with the banker about it is just like, dude, come on. You know, it's just an extra debit card. It's on my account. I'm backing it up. Uh, You know, don't play games with it. Mm -hmm. I want to switch gears here for a second. You know, let's talk about your one big tip. So you're already a veteran in, you know, creating companies, building up value and, you know, making them happen. Right. But what happens is that, you know, as a startup leader, you don't always start the company or come into the company with all of the skills necessary in Mm -hmm. order to do it. You know, so like you said, you know, there's you know, there's some things about uh, banking laws that maybe you don't know about or maybe there are some tech limitations. So, for example, you know, still here in the United States, it's still kind of awkward to send money instantly from one bank to another. I mean, now we have Zelle Mm -hmm. basically, right? And that sometimes work, but it took me like four or five phone calls just to get a transfer from one bank to another. So, you know, you could just tell that it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, yeah, the, you know, it's not, uh, it's not foolproof yet. Right. Mm -hmm. But one of the things about, uh, about building a startup and, you know, and also to make it successful is to recognize that you as the CEO are not the superhero, right? There are some things that you do not know about. 
right? Let's talk about that. How do you, first of all, identify that, right? And not use it as a, as a, oh shoot, someone's going to see through my suit of armor here, right? But to actually use that to your advantage in order to be more successful as you're building up this startup. How does that look like in your world? So one of the most important things, again, I, I learned at my first ever startup, it was uh, more of a playing at, at having a startup. I wasn't, was when I was a kid in law school. And one of the things that, that I learned, you know, and I learned it the hard way, is that you have to surround yourself with the best people, even if they are expensive, even if they cost you money, options, whatever it is that you can use to entice them and to convince them to, to come join you, because it's not it's not easy, especially at the very early stages. But this is the one maybe most important key to success, because you can't... Listen, I'm by profession, by education, I used to be an attorney. I'm not a tech person, for example, right? So I know a lot about payments. I know a lot about the ecosystem. I understand how it works, but I can't write a line of code if my life depends on it. So one of the most important things for me was always making sure that I have very strong technical people and especially very strong technical leadership, because otherwise, what the hell am I doing? And it's obviously something that I cannot do. So what I've seen in the very beginning, again, years ago, what happened with me and then what I see a lot happen around me, it's, it's not necessarily even the ego. It's not like, oh, I'm going to bring somebody is going to overshadow me. Not even that. So one is recognizing that you need the best that you can. And second, it's that it's expensive. And what you would see a lot of times at the very, very beginning is that you settle for somebody who knows is is okay. And you can pay them maybe a little bit less and a little bit less option. And you say to yourself, I'll, I'll hire somebody higher level down the road. So if you can, and not always you can, but if you can, don't do this. Don't settle. Don't make this mistake. Bring the number one person that you can humanly, however, whatever you need to do to bring them, bring them from day one. Because sometimes if you don't do that, you won't have the down the road. Am I making sense to you? Yeah, definitely. So hire and start. The, so don't hire somebody lower level and another lower level and another lower level. And then after a year, bring a manager. Bring the manager day one, let him hire or her. And one of the ways that you know that you made the, the right pick is because he or she can bring their own people. And the really good leaders, they have people who would follow them. That is actually really profound. You know, I see that also in, you know, in my space as well. Basically what you're talking about then is a limiting factor to scale, right? Because if you try to Frankenstein a solution together with mediocre people as opposed to superstars or like you say, you know, like really good leaders. Basically, what you're doing is that you're you are purposely handicapping yourself at the beginning, right? Because you in your limited knowledge of how tech is supposed to be developed or how marketing is supposed to be pushed out into the marketplace, you may not be making all of the right decisions in order to get your product to market as quick as possible. And what happens is that much more than money, you also lose a lot of time, right? And that once you have all uh, these people in place and then to bring a manager on top of them, that's creating a shockwave, right? Because these people may have been working for you for like six months or more and they're like sort of set in their ways and they think that, you know, my way is the good way, but it, it may not be, right? And when you flip that around and bring on a true leader from the beginning, that really helps in terms of setting the stage and setting yourself up from day one mm -hmm. to scale, right? Agree a hundred percent. So that would be when we talked a little bit off camera before you told me what's your one 
big tip. I think that's that's the one thing that I often find people don't think about it. They think about the challenges of developing the technology. Well, if it's a startup company, raising money, meeting the market needs, all of this, all of them are good, true points. I'm, I'm not downplaying them, but who's going to do all of that? You know, I heard an interesting quote that uh, money is faster than time, right? And that you could, and by the way, I'm full of these, uh, you know, sayings, right? Like, you know, if you try to hurry something up that, uh, you know, nine women can't make a baby in a month. Right. Yeah. But what's real important here is that, you know, if you go about your startup with the right intentions and you can be sufficiently funded, you can bring that product to market so much quicker with the right people in place, which, of course, you know, you got to pay them something. Right. Or you have to give them options, uh, you know, stock options, et cetera. Right. You can achieve that so much quicker. Why? Because you paid for that. Right. You paid for that, not only that privilege, you know, but, you know, you paid for that speed in order to bring that product to market so much quicker. And the end result is you'll have a much better product to show off anyways. Right. And I think that's really the crux of what we're talking about here is that you can really do a lot more than you think you can if you're sufficiently well funded. Agreed. Wow. That's really great. Thank you so much for sharing that. Benny, can you please take a minute to uh, tell people how they can learn more about Jasby and how they can reach out to you directly if they'd like to learn more? Absolutely. So the best way to, you know, contact us and learn more is to go to our website, which is jasby.com. Jasby is spelled J-A-S-S-B-Y.com. And you can sign up. The service is free. The app is free. The debit card is free. And it's always free, by the way. I, I know some of our competitors charge you like $5 a month and more to use a card. And I always tell people if in 2021, if somebody is charging you money to use a card, they're scoring with you. So don't do that. And I'm on LinkedIn, so I'm not strong personally on social media media, but I'm on LinkedIn and always happy to meet people. Benny Natchman. You got it, man. Benny, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been really interesting. I, it was great. I, you know, I love talking about this stuff, especially startups and you know how to make them great. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Jeff. Have a great day. 